0: Have you ever walked into another room and forgotten why you went in there? Has that ever happened to you? Could you just raise your hand, right? If you just be honest, that happens to be. Okay, all of you raise your hand. I want to introduce you to our senior adult minister, Scott Schulich, today. He's got some great resources. for. I'm just kidding. You guys probably, you're probably not ready for senior adult ministry. It just happens to us, though, right? It's, a, it's part of our human condition to do things like that. And you can blame it on old age, or you can blame it on stress, or busyness, or whatever it else, but the reality is it's just part of who we are, because, you know, we've just been messed up since the fall, and so we forget, we forget, especially when it comes to relating to God. Throughout history, people who have been in relationship with God have been prone to forget who he is and what he's done. God can show up in the most miraculous way and his people will turn around and walk the other way and immediately act like he doesn't exist. You've read these stories in the Old Testament. Maybe you've actually experienced these stories in your own life. So the question I want to answer today is, what's God like when we forget? What's God like? When we walk away and act as if he doesn't exist. And what do we do when we realize where we are? (laughs) So, does God get frustrated? Does God get angry? Is he exasperated with us? Does he get revenge? Or does God not care? Is he totally uninterested in how we live our life? Is he passive? Well, what's God like? When we walk out of church and we go right back to our old way of life. What's God like when we close our Bibles and forget what we've read? What's God like when we go to him in prayer and our minds wander off? What is God like when we find ourselves even neck deep in sin? These are the questions we want to answer. And so we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning uh, to Jeremiah chapter 31. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. So if you don't have a Bible with you today, it will be on the screen. But I'm going to encourage you, you're going to want to look at this, especially as the sermon goes along and we unpack these verses. Uh, So grab even your phone if that's the best way for you to look at the Scripture right there in front of you. You can just Google Jeremiah 31 and and click the first link that comes up. It will take you right to it. We're going to be looking at, at verse 20 here in a moment. But I'll tell you while you're turning there, if you start to read the prophet Jeremiah, and you start from the beginning, chapter 1, by the time you get to chapter 31, you might be a little discouraged because Jeremiah goes 29 chapters deep in recounting the forgetfulness and failures of Israel. 29 chapters. I mean, it just gets, it's almost just sad. It's bleak, right? Jeremiah's warning them about what's going to happen if they continue in their sin. For 29 chapters, but by the time you get to chapter 30 and then through chapter 33, these four chapters give a kind of climactic description about who God is, what's his true character like despite Israel's forgetfulness and failures. And right in the middle of these four chapters is chapter 31, verse 20, which really sums up how God relates to his people. And so... If you would today, if you're able, I know it's just one verse today, but would you stand with me in honor of God's word and just focus your heart and your mind in on what God wants to say to you this morning. Chapter 31, verse 20, I'll read aloud. You can just follow along with me silently. Isn't Ephraim a precious son to me, a delightful child? Whenever I speak against him, I certainly still think about him. Therefore, my inner being yearns for him. I will truly have compassion on him. This is the Lord's declaration. Thanks. You can have a seat. Now, I want you to remember... Even those of you watching online, as we open the Bible together this morning, we're not just reading in Jeremiah his opinion. (laughs) This isn't an opinion piece by Jeremiah. These are literally the words of God from heaven spoken to the prophet Jeremiah to be relayed to the people of Israel. And God reveals four truths in this one verse that we're going to walk through and unpack that will help us come to understand God's true character. And we know Israel at this point, by the time Jeremiah is on the scene, they have been God's chosen people for over a thousand years. That's a long time. It's an even longer time when you think about the way that the Israelites react and respond and relate to God because much of that time was spent in, with Israel being just forgetful or rebellious toward God. For a thousand years, it's an on again, off again relationship for the Israelites, but God's always there, right? And so, how does God feel about that? What's God's response? Well, listen to what he says right here in verse 20. He first calls them Ephraim. Now, this is a term of endearment. If you follow along through the Old Testament prophets, when you see this term Ephraim, it usually refers to God's kind of compassion for his people. And in this particular instance, it's the ten northern tribes of Israel. They're all represented under that one name. It's like a term of endearment. And he says, Ephraim, not my rebellious child, Right? Not, not my black sheep child, the one who never gets things right. Not the one that I'm exasperated with. You no, know, he says, Ephraim, my precious son, my delightful child. If you're a parent in the room, you know, as I know, that there are easy moments in parenting to refer to your children this way. Right? Precious and delightful. I mean, there's just like the sweet kind of, kind of hallmark moments that you get just every once in a while. Most often, it's not super easy to think of your children as precious and delightful. Those usually are like the words that are at the back of your mind when you're dealing with your kids as a parent, especially when they're young. But why? Why is that? Well, God treats us this way. He calls us, he calls his people, his precious son, his delightful child, even in the face of their rebellion because God takes joy. Our perfect God takes joy in relating to his imperfect children. And as a parent, you can love your kid even when you're, you know, a little bit tired of him. Because you have joy in that relationship with them. And it's joy that's not rooted in the performance of the child. It's joy that's rooted, in this case, in God's position as father. And he takes joy in that relationship. He chooses to love the unlovely. Have you ever felt like you've blown it with God? You ever gotten to the point in your life where you just thought you'd, you'd gone too far away or you've made too many mistakes or you'd said no to Him too many times and you're just afraid of coming back to Him because you just know He's not happy and that's how you feel about it? Well, listen, the truth is that God doesn't have. A wit's end like we do. God doesn't have an end of his rope like we do. The truth that God's revealing to us here is that his love for you never wavers. God never wavers in his love for you. Well, since God loves his people and he loves them even in their unfaithfulness, what does he do with their sin? Because they've obviously been unfaithful 29 chapters in of stories recounting their unfaithfulness, their forgetfulness. So what does God do with that? Does he just overlook it? Does he turn his back to it? Does he ignore it? Well, no, it says in verse 20, he speaks against them. Whenever I speak against my precious son, my delightful child, what does that mean? Well, it means that God's not disowning his people. No, instead he's warning and correcting them through discipline. God is pursuing his children, even when they walk away from him. He's pursuing his children through corrective discipline. Don't you know that's what discipline is? It's, it's in fact, sin that separates. I know when you feel discipline and when you're disciplined as a child, it it sometimes feels like like you're separated from that person, like there's a wedge between you. But the reality is it's it's the sin, it's what you've done wrong that's driven the wedge, and it's the discipline that's an effort to bring you back in. Listen to what Hebrews says in verse 11 of chapter 12. It says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when God says he speaks against them, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm disciplining my children. I'm preparing them for a better future, a deeper and more rich experience of life with me. Well, Jeremiah's life call was to warn the Israelites about their sin. I mean, the reason he was on planet Earth was for God to use him to speak up, even when the people didn't want to listen, to say, hey, don't keep going down that road. Turn back to God. God is faithful. Would you please just repent of your sin and come back? And if you do that, you can experience God in a new and deeper and fresh way. But the people kept going the other way. God even said to the extent that he would actually remove the people of Israel from the promised land. That they would be conquered by the Babylonians and taken to Babylon. And this happened right at the end of Jeremiah's ministry. So was God breaking his promise? To remove the people from his promised land? Was he distancing himself from his people? Was he making that wedge that sin had caused bigger? No. His discipline was an effort to pursue them, to draw them back in. He was training them for righteousness and peace and a future of being close to God. He wasn't backing out of his promise, he was building on his promise. Because discipline is how he pursues you. And even when you walk away and forget God, God never walks away from you. God's love never wavers for you, and he never walks away from you. He pursues you. He's warning you of the consequence of sin and sometimes even letting you experience the consequence of sin, like the Israelites preparing you for a deeper and more enjoyable life with him. And all the while, it says that he remembers you. God remembers you. The, the phrase here is, is uh, I certainly still think about him. If you're looking at verse 20 there, uh, it's, he says, even when I speak against them, I certainly still think about him. Now, what does it mean for God to remember? Because we know God can't forget, right? He's all-knowing. He's, he has everything in the past and everything in the future you know, firmly within his understanding. He, he can't forget. Nothing can slip his mind. So what does it mean when he says, I, I still think about him. I still remember him. Well, it's not so much as about forgetting as it is about forsaking. And so what God is saying when he makes this promise that I'll certainly still think about him, even when I speak against him, he's saying that even when his people walk away and forget, even when his people forsake him, God never forsakes his people. Even when you walk away and forget, when you forsake God in your life God will never forsake you God never cuts ties with you God never writes you off he never gives up on you returning and even more than that it shows his heart for you that when God is the last thing on your mind you are the first thing on his that's who he is that's how God works That's his attitude towards you, to the point that the core of who he is yearns for you. This is what he says about the Israelites. Even in their wandering, even in their rebellion, even in their forgetfulness, he says, my heart yearns for them. The literal meaning of that phrase is that my guts are churning. That when people are resistant to God, he is restless for them. And so the reality is, God, he's like a river pushing up against a dam. He's not bursting with anger. No, he is moment by moment more and more ready to open the floodgates of mercy to any person who would turn to him in repentance. This is who God is. You know, we wrongly believe that if we've walked away from God and we've forgotten him that we're better off just staying far away. And I think that sentiment has kept a lot of people, a lot of believers in Jesus Christ far away from God for a long period of time. Many seasons of their lives have been spent walking away from God because they're afraid of coming back to him. Because they've got a wrong view of who he is. You don't really understand what you're coming back to. And you think you're going to come back and experience God's wrath. But here's the truth. God never aims his wrath at his people. He never aims his wrath at people who are in a relationship with him. God even went so far as to aim his wrath at himself in his very son, Jesus Christ. So sin could be paid for. So so his mercy could be unleashed at the moment a sinner repents and turns back to him. And when this comes, God never withholds mercy from his people. He never wavers in his love. He never walks away. He never forsakes, and he never withholds mercy. No, he's like the father in the story that Jesus told about the son, uh, the young son who demands his inheritance from his father, who disowns his family, who, who walks away from his family in his, in his home and, In a short time, he squanders away a lifetime of wealth. He loses everything, he loses everyone, and he gets to the very bottom of his life, the lowest point he could ever have imagined, maybe could never have imagined himself being. And when he gets to that low, low, low point, he remembers his father, his wealthy father, who has servants who are better off than he is. And he thinks, maybe, just maybe, if I would go back to my father, he'll have pity on me. And maybe I could work to earn some scraps and I could be better off than I am where I've ended up. And so he starts uh, developing this appeal to his father and he gathers himself and he goes back to his home and, and he's on his way, maybe rehearsing this appeal, this apology to his father. But what happens is that the father sees him coming. And you remember what it says in Luke 15, this story that Jesus told, his father sees him coming from a long way off. See, he had been far away, but God saw him coming. And what does God do? Does he wait? Arms crossed, foot tapping. Mm-hmm. hmm No. No, 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 no. The father jumps down off the porch, right? He's out of the gate. He's down the road. He's running to the son, and the son sees him coming, and he's probably going, what's about to happen? But the father surprises him with this massive bear hug embrace, and the son starts to get out his apology, his appeal, but before he can even get it out, the father yells out to the servants, and he says, this guy needs a robe. Hey, my son needs shoes. Hey, put a ring back on his finger and put away the leftovers. Right, kill a fattened calf. We're having a party night. It's time to celebrate. My son, who was dead, is alive again. My son, who was lost, has come home. And the father shoulder, shouldered the cost of all of the son's rebellion. He never withheld anything from the Son from the time he returned on. And the same is true for us. God doesn't withhold mercy from us. Why would a father do that? Because he's rich in money? No. He's rich in mercy. The Bible confirms that. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, says that God is rich in mercy. It's an unbelievable truth that he won't withhold mercy from us. So who do you imagine God to be at the moment you realize you're far from Him? Have you been in those, in those shoes? You've been in that spot in your life where you've just made a lot of mistakes and you, you keep going down the wrong path. Uh, this was me my freshman year of college. I, I just walked away from God. I got all the way to the end of that school year before I realized that the way I was living was not God's way. It was my own way. I had intentionally walked away from Him. And I realized. At my low point, that I needed him, and so I remembered him, right? And, and he reminded me, and he drew me back in. But how did I see God in that moment? How do you see God in those moments? Do you picture him, arms crossed, foot tapping? Mm-hmm. Thought so. I knew you'd be back. <laughs> Boy, do you really do it this time? No, oh, if, if that's the way you think about God, that, that's not the God of the Bible, I mean, you probably think if you're at a place where you need to return to God, you might be expecting a confrontation with God, but God is ready to pour out his compassion on you, right? He's wanting to plan a celebration when you return. So what's keeping you? The Israelites' forgetfulness led them to rebel against God. Their circumstances, their Their enemies, their needs at times seemed so big that it made their faith get small. Well, I think for us over the last 18 months, we've faced a lot of big things. Big hurt, lots of pain, disunity, discord, dissent. And these big things, for a lot of us, what we saw was it caused believers in Jesus not for their faith to rise and grow, but their faith to get small. And so ask yourself the question over the last 18 months, has my faith gotten bigger or has my faith gotten smaller? And for some, over the last 18 months, as their faith got smaller, they actually moved into rebellion against God. Is that you? Are you coming to church today? Are you watching online from a point where you're going, I, I've, I've walked away from God, I've, I've, come in, I've gone into rebellion against Him. There's hope for you, but I tell you what I'm more concerned about. I'm more concerned about, not the some who may be in rebellion, but I'm more concerned about the many, the many, the hundreds, the thousands right here in East Texas who in the last 18 months, their faith has gone into remission. What do I mean? There are too many people in East Texas. There are too many believers at Moberly Baptist Church who know they have faith. Like it's deep down inside somewhere, right? You have a recollection, a memory of that time when you were close to God. You remember when you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior. If you walked an aisle, you remember sitting with a grandparent and then them showing you the Bible. You remember a Sunday school or a a hymn or a song. You have these memories of your faith, but your faith doesn't make a tangible difference in your day-to-day life anymore. It's in remission. Your prayers are fewer and farther between. Your devotions are fewer and farther between. It's just not as important to you as it used to be. Is that you today? Is that where the last 18 months has has taken you? It's like walking into a room and forgetting why we went in the room in the first place. We get a spiritual amnesia. We forget who God is and what he's done for us and what he calls us to. And we forget where he's taking us and why we're going there. And we live as if he doesn't exist. And most, the most dangerous part of this is that if your faith is in remission, you probably don't feel like you're in rebellion. Because you still got good morals. You know, you got the outward appearance. Everybody else still thinks you're doing fine spiritually. What you feel on the inside is different. And you might say, hey, it's just been a hard year. You know, I'm just taking some time off from church. Or I just need to step back from my place of service. Or I need to focus on other things. And, And just little by little... Your faith falls further into remission. And you say, I'm just taking a break, but really, are you taking a break or are you breaking up? When it comes to a relationship with God, a faith that's in remission, church, is a faith in rebellion. God's calling you back. You've heard the good news about the true character of God right here from Jeremiah chapter 31. Even the Old Testament, right? It's supposed to be about how God is full of wrath. But no, we see God is full of mercy. That's who God is. And so it doesn't matter how far you've wandered away from God because the way back is short. All you have to do is turn. That's it. Just turn back around. Isn't that how it works? You've had that experience. Almost everybody raised their hand. You walk into another room and you forget why you went in there. You know how to remember, right? You've probably had this experience. You're standing there, say you're eating, go in the kitchen, and you go, oh, what did I come in here for? You stand there for a minute. It's just blank. It's like my brain doesn't work anymore. What happens when you turn around and you walk back into that other room? jog's your memory, doesn't it? Oh yeah, that's what it was. Now I know where I'm going. Now I know why I'm going there. Now I know where I'm headed. It's the same thing with God. When you drift away from him, when your faith moves into rebellion, remission, whatever that looks like, all it takes is for you to turn around and go back to him, and you'll remember. He'll remind you. So how do you return? Well, it's right here in the text. And in our last couple of minutes, I just want to show you right around verse 20, some key points in the scripture about how you respond when you notice your faith is in rebellion or remission. The first thing is this, is in verse 18, is that we recognize God's reminders. Remember how God, his discipline is a reminder to us, right? It's his way to draw us back in. It's a, it's a loving uh, pursuit of us, it says in verse eighteen in Jeremiah thirty-one, "I've surely heard Ephraim moaning." Right? This is God talking. He says, "I've surely heard them moaning." What are they saying? They're saying, "You disciplined me, and I've been disciplined like an untrained calf. Take me back, so that I can return for you, Lord, are my God." And you see, the discipline of God leads people. To make the turn and come back. God puts reminders in your path that if you recognize them will set you up to make your return to God. So what's God putting in your path today? Is it it the sermon? Is it a scripture? Is it a song we've sung? Maybe it's something you heard on the radio recently that just caused you to go, yeah, I just need to get back. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. People are going, I know I need to get back in church. I mean, that's like the main thing. If I run into someone in the grocery store, they go, I know I need to get back in church. These are reminders to you from God. It's his loving discipline and pursuit of you to draw you back in, to prepare you for a deeper and more meaningful relationship with him. He's saying, don't keep wandering away. No, I'm reaching out to you. I'm putting things in your path to remind you to come back. You recognize As reminders, maybe it's a consequence for a sin that sent you kind of in a spiral. It made you go to a low point before you said, okay, God, I get it. I'm ready to come back. And then what happens? Well, look at verse 19. We see that they return to God through repentance. It says this, After my return... I felt regret. After I was instructed, I struck my thigh in grief. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Well, what's happening here? Because some of that sounds a little downtrodden, and it surely is, because Ephraim, the people of Israel, had gone back to their old ways. They had walked away and forgotten God. They slipped back into their old habits. They went back to those old relationships. They went back to those old vices. These are the same experiences that you and I have. As we attempt to walk with God, we lose our attention, our focus on him, and we go right back into our old selves. This is the war that's happening in us. The Apostle Paul would say that you have to put to death your old selves Why? Because you're going to be tempted to go back to it, right? So put it to death. But this is our experience. We walk away from God. We get distracted. We forget him. And we end up going back to our old ways. That's called sin. And sin separates us from God. It drives a wedge between us and God. But repentance, repentance is this great biblical word that just means to turn. To say, I know, I agree, God, my way was the wrong way. Your way is the right way. I'm coming back. God, I'm coming back. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm returning to you. And this is what happens in verse 19. It sounds downtrodden, but all they're doing is being honest. It's just like a brutal honesty about the the result of sin and where sin takes you, it's grief. It's grief over where we've been and, and not grief so as we, that we hold on to the guilt of sin because the guilt of sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ, right? No, it's, it's grief to just to put us to a point to recognize our guilt so that we're ready to receive God's restorative grace, which is what verse 20 is all about, right? My precious son, my delightful child, even when I speak against you, I, I remember you still. My heart yearns for you I'll have compassion on you that's my declaration this is what God says he said I'm gonna this is my promise to you there will be compassion ready for you when you turn and receive his restorative grace which leads us to verse 21 that we ought to remind ourselves regularly if you've experienced the grace of God his mercy in your life You've got to be proactive to remind yourself regularly of it. Now, look at verse 21 with me. It says here: set up road markers for yourself, establish signposts, keep the highway in mind, the way you've traveled. This is what God's saying to the Israelites. He's saying, Hey, you're gonna be exiled to Babylon. You're gonna be removed from your homeland. It's my act of discipline, my loving pursuit of you to draw you back in, to prepare you in righteousness for peaceful existence, more deeply engaged with God and, and for a long, eternal future, right? And so he's saying, This is what's gonna to happen to you. You're gonna be exiled, but once you're in on your way to Babylon, right, you're going to want to establish signposts for yourself along the way because you're not going to be there forever. You're going to come back. God, I'm going to bring you back into this place of deep, meaningful relationship and closeness, right, where my promises continue to be fulfilled in you and your life. And he's saying, retrace your steps to the places where I showed up If you've got a faith, whether it's in rebellion or some sort of remission, it's just deep down there somewhere, God showed up for you before. Right? There was something that he did. He spoke to you. He revealed himself to you. You put your faith in him. You you recognized him. You believed in him. Go back to those places. Take your mind and your heart back to those moments. Maybe it was when you were a child and you had a childlike faith. God wants you to remember that. God wants you to remember the simplicity of your relationship with him, the belief in who he is. And he doesn't want you to just go remember it. He wants you to put a marker there. He wants you to look back at your baptism. You know what that is? That's a signpost. It's a symbol of what God does in your life. When he's raised, saved you, he's forgiven you of your sin, he's washed you clean spiritually, then you show it to the world. You make a signpost in your life about what God's already done on the inside. You do it on the outside. Go back to those moments, establish those signposts, set up some guardrails in your life. And what I love about this is that the Israelites aren't doing, Ephraim's not doing this in, as individuals, right? Ephraim's nothing, it's not just the name of a guy. No, it's a representative of the tribes of Israel. It's, it's community. They're going together. God's disciplining them together. He's bringing them back together. They're on this journey together. And so how does that affect us? It means you can't do this on your own. You need a community. You need a local church. You need discipleship relationships where people are close enough to you that when they see signs of you drifting off, they're there to keep you on the way. They're going, no, hey, here's the mile marker up here. Hey, here's the signpost. No, this is the direction we're supposed to be going. Stay on course. Stay on track. And then in addition to setting up signposts, When you live life spiritually in community with one another, you become a signpost for others. Your story of God's mercy in your life, someone else needs to hear that because they got the wrong view of God. They've walked away. They've forgotten. Maybe they're in complete rebellion. Maybe their faith is just lying dormant somewhere in remission. They need you to speak out. Life into them, to lead them back to God, to tell your testimony. What's your testimony? Well, your testimony is like my testimony, and our testimony is just like Israel's testimony. Listen to what their testimony is from chapter 30, uh, verses 12 through 17. I'll just pick out the high points for you. It says, this is what the Lord says. Your injury is incurable, your wound most severe. You have no defender for your case. And because of your enormous guilt and innumerable sins, does that sound familiar? I can resonate with that. But I will bring you health, God says, and will heal you of your wounds. This is the Lord's declaration. That's your story. That's my story. That's Israel's story. That's a story that needs to be told. Sin separates you from God. It is impossible for you to make it back to, to traverse that chasm on your own. God had to come to you to heal you. And he did through Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in chapter 31, verse 3. It says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. Does that sound familiar, like the prodigal son story? The Lord appeared to him from far away, saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I love that word extend because it's not reactionary it's it's intentional it's proactive God extends his love his everlasting love to you that word everlasting shows up again in the new testament doesn't it when Jesus comes along several centuries later John chapter 3 verse 16 he says God loved the world in this way that he sent his son Jesus Christ that whoever would believe in him would not perish But have everlasting life. You see, it's the everlasting love of God that that leads to the everlasting life with God. God's heart was revealed to us not only through Jeremiah, through the words from heaven, God's heart literally put on flesh for you and I to be revealed among us as the Word from heaven, Jesus Christ. God even spoke against Jesus Christ, his precious son, his delightful child, by sending him to the cross to take on the punishment for the sins of the world, to exchange his innocent blood for the salvation of the guilty, to fully satisfy his justice and to fully dispense his mercy. So that any person, anyone who believes in him, anybody who comes to him in repentance, anybody who turns to him would find eternal life. This is incredible news. Because if you're like me and we're much like the Israelites, we walk away and forget. It's just like walking into another room and forgetting why we went. We just space out on the things of God and we drift away. Sometimes we turn and run away. and Sometimes we just end up in remission. But it doesn't matter if you're turning to him for the first time, if you're returning to him for the thousandth time. It doesn't matter if you have taken one step away from him or a thousand steps away from him. His heart yearns for a relationship with you. And he's calling out to you today. Will you turn to him? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and give you a moment to respond. And Nate's going to come and lead us in a brief chorus. And I want you to respond intentionally. I want you to, to process this good news about Jesus. That Forgiveness is available through him. That you can have eternal life that starts here and now when you turn to God in Repentance. And if those of you who are in the room are turning to God for the first time, saying, I want to put my faith in him for salvation, then I want you to just maybe pray something silently like this. God, I know I've messed up. I know I've broken your commands. I'm not perfect. But God, I believe that Jesus was perfect. And that when he died, he died for me. As a substitute, he died the death I should have died. I believe that, God. And because of that, God, would you forgive me for my sin? And God, would you help me be a follower of Jesus Christ who gives my life to him because he gave his life for me?